If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me for our last regular season mailbag of the 2019 season, which really pains me to say, but my co-host Charlie here is with me to help us make it through us. So Charlie, did you survive the rain on Saturday? I did, but is it a pain to say that it's the last week because I'm on the show or because it's the last week of the regular season? It's very confusing there the way you said that. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't understand. It's it's <laughs> it's a busy week for me. I'm all over the place traveling for Thanksgiving, like three different Thanksgivings to do. I'm sure a lot of you guys out there are in similar situations. Uh, what I was trying to say is that it's a very painful time of year for me because we look so forward to football season, and here it is at the very end. It's been a fantastic season with you. It's been a lot of fun, but uh, it sucks when the football season... I actually, like on Monday, I kind of walked through the day because I had nothing off of work, so I didn't have much to do, trying to find something to keep myself busy, and all my mind was on was how much I'm going to miss football. I was like, oh my God, we have like one and a half more Saturdays where I get to wake up and either go to a football game or watch football all day, and I, I now I'm going to the deep dark pit of despair, and yes, I don't want do not, to go there. <laughs> please do not start crying. Let's move the show. Oh, along. that was yesterday. That was yeah, all. I was exactly, crying in my exactly. closet by myself. Uh, but uh, did you, did you check it out the whole game in the rain? Because I, I know you you were not excited, but all week you were like, oh my god. Every time I talked it, to you, the cameras made it look worse than it was. It only put, rained hard for like a minute at a time, and it was really just a light sprinkle. Yeah, you're right. It really wasn't all that bad in the game. I, the worst part for me during the day is I like to run in the morning uh, on Saturday mornings before the games, and so I had to run inside a treadmill on a treadmill, and that was not fun. But it really wasn't all that bad. In the second half, it wasn't really raining too much at all. But you survived. I know you were not looking forward to that. But uh, now that you've survived the rain, your reward is now back-to-back weekends in Atlanta, Georgia, which I know is one of your favorite places in the world. How are you feeling about that? I mean, it could be worse. I don't love Atlanta. The traffic. You hate Atlanta. I do. I really only go through Atlanta to get to the airport. To the airport or to a Georgia football game. Exactly. That's the only time you go to Atlanta. Yes. Uh, So I know early in the year when we going back to the beginning of the season when it was all beautiful. We had the whole football season in front of us. But against Vanderbilt in Nashville, we were talking about how much you hated Nashville. So who? What do you hate worse? Do you hate Atlanta or Nashville worse? Nashville. Really? You have to drive five hours to get there. But Nashville's way more fun. It's way cooler town than Atlanta, and it's. But I, I mean, the really, traffic's gotten a lot worse in Nashville. I wouldn't but choose to go to either. I'll just say, when we go for a Vanderbilt game, to Nashville for a Vanderbilt game, it's way more fun than going to Atlanta for a Tech game or to Atlanta for the SEC title game. It's way yeah, more you fun. Have to drive there's, like, there's nothing around that stadium in Atlanta. There's nothing. Like, at least there used to be a Taco Mac. Now there's, I guess, the Dantana's, which is where everyone wants to go, and it's the only place. And I guess you go to Stats. It was a little bit further away. It just sucks. There's no tailgating. There's nothing to do there. Not fun. I'm, I'm actually probably less excited about it than you are. But <laughs> anyway, we've got a ton of... I'm really excited about the game. Not excited about having to go to Atlanta for the game. Uh, but we've got a ton of questions. We've actually got maybe more questions than we've had for any mailbag. So we're going out with a bang here in the regular season. We'll have one again next week after the Tech game as well. But for regular season, this is it. So I want to go ahead and get into this, Charlie. What do you got for me today? After three straight weeks completing under 50% of his passes, we have a number of questions about Jake Fromm and the passing game. Of course we do. We are combining three questions from Jamil, John, and Josh. Do you think it's mechanics or mental hurdles? 11 games in as a junior, shouldn't we be seeing better from Jake Fromm? Uh, do you agree that there's a lot of issues with his mentality and that once he has a bad play, he doesn't forget? Going back to QB1, you can see that. And it seems like his level of high play is falling off each year. A lot of what he has missed this year would have been made with ease his freshman year. It seems like his ceiling is predicated on his receivers. Yeah, I know there's a, there's a lot of questions, a lot of consternation among the Georgia fan base with Jake Fromm, the passing game. Uh, and I think understandably so. Curse and I spent about half the show 
on Monday, or I guess Sunday, discussing the passing game and Jake Fromm's struggle. So I don't want to go too in-depth with this one here because we have spent a good bit of time touching on it. But I'll try to uh, touch on some of the elements here that may be a little bit different. Uh, when you talk about the mentality of Jake Fromm, I think, John, you might be on something there that once he, there's a bad play, it, he has a tough time kind of just throwing it to the wayside and kind of recycling and get back to the next play and just go from there. Because I think Jake Fromm is the kind of guy who, re- like, and of course, all quarterbacks want to be good. They they all care to a degree, of course. But I think Jake Fromm, like, he really, really cares about this team, about his teammates, and about and about playing well. And he wants he wants to be the best quarterback out there for Georgia. He wants to go out there and lead us to a national title. We've been so close. So I think there might be something to that. Because I, I mean, Curtis and I talked about this earlier in the week. It does seem like playing amateur psychologist here. It does seem like, like when you see him on the field, when you go back and watch the replay of the games, just his demeanor, the facial expressions. You can, it, it seems like he's frustrated a little bit, frustrated with himself. Uh, maybe not quite as confident as we've seen him be in the past. And again, that's just me being an amateur psychologist here. I don't really know that. I don't talk to the guy, but just kind of looking at it from the outside in, I think it's fair to to at least question some of those things. Uh, now, in terms of him taking a step back this year. I think Jake Fromm is still very much Jake Fromm. I think Jake Fromm is a guy he's been throughout his entire career. And again, Curtis and I talked about this on on the recap show earlier in the week. I just think there are some personnel issues at receiver, uh, and there are some schematic issues still. We've made some strides schematically, and some of the receivers have come on lately. But let's make no bones about it. He is not throwing to the same group of receivers that he threw to his first couple of years in Athens. He does not. He doesn't have the same group of running backs behind him. Yes, DeAndre Swift is elite. He's right there. Up, he's right up there with the Nick and Sonys of the world. But outside of that, we don't have the, the stable of backs of the caliber of Nick, Sony, and Swift. I mean, think about 2017. Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, DeAndre Swift are your top three running backs. Uh, and Brian Herring is a hell of a player. I love Brian Herring. Love what he brings to the table. But he's not Sony Michelle. Love Zeus. Think Zeus is going to be really good. He's not DeAndre Swift. Well, DeAndre Swift was as a freshman. So I don't think we have the playmakers around him right now, especially when you consider his best receivers, most consistent receivers, have been hurt for about 50% of the games this year. Uh, I think that certainly impacted Jake Fromm. So I think I think he's still the same guy. The production is just not quite there because we don't have the players around him to make those plays happen. I also, also don't think that we're scheming things up in a way to give him some easy throws to keep the offense on schedule. We've talked about it ad nauseum through the past couple weeks. I think we have some good receivers that can make plays, but I don't think we're structuring offense around their skill sets. I think we're asking them to do things that we ask guys like Javon Wims and Riley Ridley and J.J. Holman to do that fit their skill sets, but don't so much fit what Demetrius Robertson and Kyrus Jackson and Dominic Blaylock bring to the table. Sure, guys like Pickens and Cager can make those plays, and when both those guys are healthy and playing, our offense all of a sudden looks a lot better. I rattled off those numbers last uh, last week and earlier this week on the uh, on the recap show. Uh, mechanically, and Curtis has done a good job pointing this out. I'm going to give him some credit. I do think there are some mechanical issues with Jake right now. He's throwing off his back foot a little bit too much. He's not stepping into throws as much. And I don't know if that's because he's feeling, he, he, maybe he's feeling the phantom pressure from inside. Maybe he's pressing a little bit. And a lot of times when you lose confidence and it gets into your head, and I think you can make an argument. Things are getting into Jake's head right now. I think you can make that argument. And just speaking to, from experience, I mean, guys, I you know, like a lot of you guys, I played sports um intently growing up. I played football, baseball year-round, basketball, all those things, like a lot of you guys. And uh, I don't want to say, like, like, hey, a pretty good baseball player, but back in the day, I played travel ball, and and I was pretty good at it. And there were times I went through slumps, even as a hitter, because things get in your head. And and things that you've done consistently throughout your career, but when it gets in your head and you you kind of just can't, like, recycle it, then it affects you, and it affects your performance, it affects your mechanics. And I don't want to say it's, it's not the yips. Jake is not even close to that. But, I mean, it, it's that same concept. So th- we just need to get Jake some confidence. Once he gets rolling, Jake Fromm, I still very much believe, is a guy that can lead us where we want to go. I know it has not looked pretty the past couple weeks. I mean, three straight games, under 50% completion percentage. When through the first two-plus years of his career as a starter at Georgia, he only had three games total of under 50% completion percentage. So the guy's done it plenty of times. He's done it for two and a half years now. But it's just right now, it's not clicking. We've got to find a way to get this offense back on schedule because, as we said in the recap show, we have, Kirby knows it. I mean, we all know. We have everything we need. We have championship-caliber defense. We have a championship-caliber offensive line, championship-caliber running back, championship-caliber kicker, championship-caliber punter now. I mean, that, Jake Mart is killing it. But the offense is the weak link, and we've got to figure out a way to get it on track. But time's running out, and that certainly is a concern. There's no doubt about it. All right, next up, Cliff asks, how would running at an up-tempo pace and having less checks at the line help Jake Fromm? 
Honestly, I mean, it's a great question. I appreciate it. My take on that question, Cliff, is I, I, I don't know if it would help all that much. And I could totally be wrong here. I do like going in more tempo. I mean, going back to that South Carolina game, which I know none of us want to relive, but the entire second, especially the fourth quarter, we were all screaming in the stands, what are we doing? Because we knew like it, it, we had to score two touchdowns, or at least two, we had to get two scores to win that game. And it's kind of like we were acting like we were up by a score. We were not going with any sense of urgency whatsoever. Uh, but the reason we were doing that is because what Jake brings to the table, one of the things that makes Jake a really good player is his ability to diagnose things pre-snap and post-snap as well, but to get us in the right play. When you go with tempo, it, it's a catch-22, because I think Jake operates really well when we go with tempo. When you go in the two-minute situations, I mean, that's been well-documented. He's at his best in those situations. But at the same time, another thing that makes him so good is what he can do before the snap, diagnosing what defenses are doing and getting you in the right play. And those things are kind of mutually exclusive. When you go with tempo, you don't have as many checks in the line of scrimmage because you're trying to get to the line of scrimmage, just go, 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 go. Uh, but then when you take forever and try to get in the right play, what that does is it allows defenses to try to to audible out of what they were in initially, and it allows them to, to sub and get different packages in there. So it is a catch-22, and maybe we need to go to more tempo and, and take some of the checks away from Jake. Uh, I don't, and, But I would say it's not because Jake cannot do it. it. It would just be a schematic decision there. It would be a philosophical decision. But it's hard for me to take things out of Jake Fromm's hands in those situations with changing plays, line of scrimmage. Because, again, I think that's one of the things that separates him from most quarterbacks in America is just what he can do in understanding coverages, diagnosing defenses, getting us consistently in the right play. Um, so I, I have a hard time taking that out of his hands, but I, if we if we took that out of his hands to go more up tempo, I might be okay with it. I think the best way to approach that would be to kind of just mix up a couple drives here and there, go up tempo, a couple other drives, you know, go with what we do traditionally. But I mean, I would like to see us go a little more up tempo because I think Jake thrives in those situations. We kind of get defense on their heels; they can't change personnel as easily. I think it just might be one of those things that could give us a shot, the shot in the arm offensively that we need. All right. Trevor asks, do you think Jake Fromm will come back for his senior season after taking a step back, at least statistically, in 2019? I've said uh, past couple weeks that with each passing week, I feel more and more confident in saying I think Jake Fromm is going to come back, and I am not moving away from that. I, I think I think he's going to come back. I, I can't say that for certain. Now, things could change the past couple weeks. If he just kind of hits a hot streak these past couple weeks and leads us to a national title, then he's gone. But barring that, anything short of that, I, I'm really starting to believe that Jay Fromm is going to come back. Um, his stock has taken a hit. I mean, what you're hearing right now is maybe he's sneaking the late first round, probably more of like a second round pick. And if that's the case, why not come back? Especially when you can kind of, I don't want to say he has to redeem his reputation, but you can get your reputation back where it was coming into this season, where it was the first half of this season, actually. Uh, you have you won't have Lawrence Cager, he's gone, but you'll have George Pickens coming back. You'll have D-Rob coming back, a whole group of receivers. Marcus Roseme coming in uh, from the high school race. I think he's going to be a really good player for us. Uh, DeAndre Swift will be gone, but we have a really good stable of running backs. So I think there's a really good chance that Jay Fromm's going to come back when he sees what he has to work with next year and the fact that you know we're going to have that, that defense is going to be nasty again. And we're going to have another really good shot to get in the SEC Championship game and compete again for a college football playoff spot. Uh, and if we, again, if we fall short of a national title this year, then I think Jake Fromm is the kind of guy who kind of had that gnawing feeling in his in the pit of his stomach where he just wants to come back and he wants to finish the job. We've been close, but he haven't. He has not gotten the job done yet. I think he's the kind of guy that wants to leave that legacy of being the guy that's going to lead us to our first national title since 1980. I could be wrong there, but I'm really starting to think more and more that he's going to be coming back, and okay. I hope to God he does. Scott asks, if we are going to rely on the on the run on first and second down, which we are, why do we not have more of a variety in our running playbook? Why do we not have more than running inside zone and lately the little pitch-out play? Our guys are big, but not necessarily fast. Yeah, look, it's a really good question, Scott. You know, I love the X's and O's. I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. I do think, and I've gone on record saying this, and I'll say it again, I think that we have done a good job of diversifying our running game from where it was at the start of the season, where we were running a lot of inside zone and a little bit into some duo. It was basically inside zone and duo, the, like I'd say 75 to 80% of the time. But we've gotten away from that a little bit, especially after that South Carolina game. We had a lot of trouble running the football consistently. Uh, you're seeing us do, like you mentioned, we that toss play out of shotgun, which is kind of the new toss pitch play, which we used to run out of center, uh, out of the formation where we were under center. Uh, we've also kind of worked in the split zone play a little bit more. We're running more outside zone. We saw some counter and power action for a few games there after South Carolina. We moved away from that the past couple of weeks. 
But I do think we've made strides in diversifying our run game. I don't think we need to stop there. I think there's there's more to do. There's more improvement that can be made in, in the kind of running plays that we're bringing the table and what we're doing schematically on the ground. One thing that I, I've said many times the past couple weeks, it's not necessarily a run play, but it's attached to the run. We need to attach more RPOs to our run game way more consistently than what we're doing. Those plays are going to be there with how defenses are, are, are attacking us with their linebackers two and three yards off the line of scrimmage and attacking downhill immediately with safeties triggering downhill at the snap with reckless abandon. RPOs are going to be there all day long. And not only can we hit some plays in the passing game with those RPOs, what that's going to do is it's going to slow down defenses and how they attack our run game and open up more room for guys like DeAndre Swift to where we can hit some more of those explosive plays that we've been accustomed to hitting in the run game the past couple years, but just haven't been happening this year at all. So that's kind of how I would approach this. I'd also, we throw this in there as well. We still, we, we run play action, but we need to do a lot more play action. Go back to that Auburn game. All three touchdown passes Jake Fromm had were off of play action. With how teams are defending the run, if we can put now, and when they're coming downhill like that, it's tough for quarterback to have some of the slow developing plays with play action. You turn your back to the line of scrimmage, I get that. But with our offensive line, how they protected Jake really, really well for most of the year, only giving up eight sacks on the year right now, I think is the number. I think play action is something that we need to incorporate even more into our offense because teams just, they have no respect for the pass whatsoever and they're triggering downhill on any sort of run action, even if it's not really a run action, they're coming downhill. So I think we need more play action, more RPOs, continue to try to diversify the run game and uh, maybe we can find a way to, to spark this offense down the stretch. Now, Reggie th- sees things a little bit differently. He says he is probably in the minority in that he's not panicking about our offense. He understands why some people might be worried, but as long as the run game and the defense show up, he's not worried. Is he crazy? Reggie, you're not crazy, my friend. You're not. I really don't think you are. And, and kind of what I said on the recap show, guys, I don't think our offense is that far away. Going back and kind of scouring through these last couple games time and time again, we're, we're missing things by inches at times, whether it's from missing a guy just a little bit over his shoulder, whether it's receiver running the wrong route or not running his route quite as crisp enough, whether it's a guy, uh, whether it's one of the running backs missing a hole that could have resulted t- taking a 15 to 20 yard run and made it a 50, 60 yard run. We're not that far away. We, and I still believe that we have the pieces if we just find ways to maximize their skill sets. Uh, and with the defense, Reggie, I totally agree with you about the defense. With the defense, I think we'll have a chance to win every single game. The question is, obviously, will our offense be able to do enough for for what our defense does to actually matter? Um, and so far, they have done just enough. But when the competition ticks up here in a couple weeks since LSU, will the offense be able to put enough points up on the board to be a really, really dynamic LSU offense. I think our defense will be up to the task, but LSU is going to score a couple points, guys. They're going to score. Our offense is going to have to find a way to put some points on the board. But my big concern right now, Reggie, is if our running game was just running over people with our defense, I'd feel a lot better about things right now. We know the struggles we're having in the passing game, but our rushing attack, and this is related to the passing, because defenses don't really have to account for us in the passing game all that much right now, but our rushing attack has not been near as dynamic as it has in years past, and as, as dynamic as it was early in the year. We have not rushed for over 200 yards since that monsoon game against Kentucky when we went for 244. Since then, we had 119 yards rushing against Florida for 3.2 yards per rush, 166 against Missouri, 4.4 yards a rush, 141 uh, against Auburn, 3.9 yards a rush, and 97 against AN. Now, some of those were sack yardage and then in the, in the snap issue, but only 2.7 yards per rush. And look, guys, the defenses that we've played the past couple weeks have all been top 25, okay? If you go back, Florida, Missouri, Auburn, AM, they're all top 25 defenses nationally. So the competition level has ticked up. We're not busting off. 323 yards we were against Vanderbilt in week one, 269 against Murray State, 268 against Arkansas State, 238 against Tennessee, 244 against Kentucky. We're not doing that. We haven't done that for about a month now. So if our running game can get back on track to where we're rushing for 200 plus yards along with our defense, then I would feel a whole lot better. But the running game just hasn't quite been there. It's It's been solid. We've had some workmanlike afternoons and evenings. That's what we've had. We, we're kind of grinding out yards, tough yards, physical runs. We're getting a couple of 10 to 15 yard runs here and there, but we're not hitting the explosive plays like we have in the past. And when the passing game is having the issues that we've had over the past month plus now, that really hurts us when we're not generating those those big explosive plays in the run game because you know we can grind things out for a couple of drives a game, 
but we also ended up punting 11 times we against Auburn. So we've got to find a way, if you want this offense to do enough to beat LSU, to beat teams in a potential college playoff scenario, we've got to find a way to be more explosive offensively, whether it's in the passing game or in the running game. All right. Jesse thinks James Coley called his best game of the year on Saturday, but we've got to find a way to run the ball more effectively, not to mention hitting those wide-open shots in the passing game. He thought Kenley really struggled late in the game. Your thoughts? Yeah, Jesse, you're spot on with Kenley. Uh, I think it was Cole Kublik who put this, uh, put a video clip out on Twitter of Justin Matabuki just kind of throwing Kenley to the side a couple times, which is not something you see very often because Kenley is a very physical run blocker. And Matabuki was just throwing him out of the way. He was, as Kublik said, playing like a man possessed. And Curtis and I touched on that on Sunday in the recap show, how I thought Solomon Kenley had a really good year. But, man, he uh, he probably played the worst game he's played since the 2017 season when he lost to Jada Ben Cleveland down the stretch after that Auburn game. Uh, that's certainly not the caliber of play that we've seen from Solomon Kenley throughout his his uh, his career, really, really the past year and a half. But I do think he struggled. I agree with you there. And, and you know what, Jesse? I, I'm with you. I think James Coley is doing a pretty good job of calling plays in the game within the structure of our offense. I don't think play calling has necessarily been the issue. My issue, I know that in, in the semantics here, it's not in-game play calling. It's schematics. That's what I'm concerned about. There's things I think we can do from a, from a schematics pr- perspective to give our team a better chance. I do think Cole's done a good job of being aggressive on early downs. Uh, I think he's doing a really good job of trying to diversify the run game. There's plenty of improvement to be made, obviously, when we're, when we're having trouble even getting 300 total yards offensively. So I, I don't want to completely absolve him from any kind of blame. But calling plays, I think he's done a pretty good job of late. I thought he did a good job on Saturday. You know, dialed up the wheel route in the first quarter to Harry and that, that Jake just flat out missed. Got the flea flicker that was there. Um, and in game, it looked like Jake completely missed that. But going back and rewatching a little bit, digging into a little bit more, it does look like Pickens slowed down that one. For whatever reason, the execution was not there on a couple of key plays, whether it was Jake, whether it was receivers. The execution was not there consistently on the plays that he dialed up. Go back to that Auburn game, the two touchdowns in the red zone, were things of beauty. Absolutely gorgeous. Well-designed plays. Go back to Cager's long touchdown uh, to kind of answer Florida's score uh, a couple weeks ago in Jacksonville. A thing of absolute beauty. He's doing a really good job kind of dialing up some big-time opportunities for us to hit some vertical shots down the field. We've just got to do a better job of executing those things. Now, schematically, I've gone over my issues uh, plenty of times. So I don't want to go down that rabbit hole again. I do think that there's some a lot of improvement that can be made there. But in terms of actually calling plays within the structure that we've laid out for ourselves offensively, I think he's done a pretty good job. And before we move on to our next question, I do want to remind you guys about our friends at Vivid Seats. If you're still looking for tickets to this weekend's game in Atlanta, you can find them pretty cheap on Vivid Seats still right now. Great selection. You can find tickets in the visitor section, which let's be honest, which will be essentially the entire stadium. We're going to paint that city red on Saturday. So if you're looking for tickets and want to get in on the action, Vivid Seats has you covered. And if you're still in the market for SEC title tickets here in a couple weeks, I picked up a couple of tickets myself last week. It was a very seamless, easy process. I felt completely comfortable making the purchase with a 100% buyer guarantee. When you're spending that kind of money on tickets, you want that security, and Vivid Seats has you guys covered. And right now, they are enrolling people automatically in their Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. All you have to do is go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. They'll take care of the rest, and you're going to be able to earn credits back on all ticket purchases. And when it's time to pull the trigger, when you're ready to buy, new users enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. All right, Daniel says, with all the struggles we are having on offense, he can't help but think back to the great UGA quarterbacks we've had in the past before James Coley took over. Is it such a bad idea to bring back Bobo? Absolutely not. Uh, What I mean by that is absolutely that's not a bad idea. That's an incredible idea. I would be over the freaking moon if we brought back Mike Bobo, if we could find a way to make that happen. Now, he's got to get let go at Colorado State first. I don't I don't wish that to happen. Like, I think if we were able to, if he got let go and we were able to pick him up, I think that would be an incredible benefit to our program. But I don't wish that on Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo, is a, he's, a, he's a damn good dog, man, and I want him to have all this, the success in the world. But if he did get let go, and it's increasingly looking like that's going to be the case, and he's like, I think numbers like 0 of 12, 0 and, 0 and 12 against uh, rivals, uh, for Colorado State in, those, in their rivalry games. So that's not a good look. I know the, the faithful there in Colorado, Colorado State are a little restless right now. So I think there's a, a more than decent chance he does get let go. Now the question becomes, does Kirby 
just get rid of James Coley to bring in Mike Bobo as offensive coordinator? I don't see that happening because, yes, Mike and Kirby go way back, obviously teammates here at Georgia, really close friends, but Kirby is really tight with Coley as well, going back to their days at LSU uh, when Kirby was kind of cutting his teeth with Nick Saban. Those guys are tight. They're close. And you also got to factor in recruiting. You know you know how much of a premium Kirby places on recruiting. And all these guys are getting from South Florida. James Coley is one of the predominant reasons why we're getting a lot of those guys with all his connections down there in South Florida. And not even just South Florida. He's just an ace recruiter all the way around. He is an asset to our program. So I do not see a scenario where Kirby just says, all right, Coley, you're fired. You're gone. Let's bring in Mike Bubba. I do not see that. I think he sees too much value in keeping Coley around. But I do think there is still an avenue to bring Bobo back, whether it's as a co-offensive coordinator. Um, now, there would have to be some egos that to be set aside in that situation. You know, Bobo had to set his ego aside. Coley would certainly have to set his ego aside. But Coley's kind of been in that setup before. And money does talk. If you bring in Mike Bobo as a co-offensive coordinator and you pay him, you also give Coley a raise to kind of be okay with that situation then uh, I think there's a, an avenue for that to happen. Now, the question is, like, if you bring Bobo in as an actual on-field coach and you want to keep Coley, well, somebody's got to go. You can not You can only have 10 on-field coaches. So what I would say could potentially happen if I was just you know trying to you know figure out a way to get Bobo in here is maybe you, I hate to use the word fire, but maybe like eliminate the special teams coaching position as we brought on Scott Fountain when we, when we got the 10th uh, coaching position, on-field coaching position from the NCAA, we went and brought in Scott Fountain and hired a special teams coordinator. And he's done a really good job. But guys, for years and years and years, special teams duties were split up by different coaches on staff. So your receiver coach might have one of the special teams units. Your DB coach might have one of the units. And you just split it up that way. So to me, there'd be a lot more value bringing Mike Bobo back on staff as a quarterback's coach, co-offensive coordinator, than having a dedicated special teams coach. And Scott Fountain's a really good coach, and I know Kirby likes him too. But uh, again, if you're talking about value, I think it'd be far more valuable to have Mike Bobo on staff with his recruiting prowess and also his off. I mean, go back to you know the Aaron Murray years. Those are the best offenses in Georgia history. And Mike Bobo does a really good job of being able to... to Kind of feature a power running game, the downhill running attack, by also but also taking shots vertically down the field. He's done a really good job of kind of melding the modern spread offenses with the kind of old school pro style offenses, which I really think could benefit this offense to a large degree. So I would be all for it. Now, if if we can't get him back as an on field coach, I would obviously welcome him to come back as an analyst. I don't know if he'd be willing to do that, but I will say I think there might be a chance. Charlie, you and I were talking about this last week a little bit. Uh, I think there's a chance it could happen. He's probably going to get a buyout, a, a pretty significant buyout from Colorado State. At least he'll get a couple million dollars, I'm sure. And so he's not going to be hurting for money. He's been making head coach money the past couple years. Then he gets to come back to Athens, Georgia, where he's very familiar. His family knows the area. His wife loves the area. All that kind of stuff. Come back to your alma mater. He's also got the health issues. So maybe it's going to allow him to recuperate, to take a step back from the daily grind of being like the head coach and being in it all the time. You kind of just sit back and you break down tape. You come up with different schemes. You come up with different plays. You help the offense coordinator out a little bit. And if Coley does, if something does happen with Coley down the road, then maybe Bobo is ready to, at that point, step in there to that offensive coordinator position. So I think there's an avenue, a couple different avenues for him to come back. And my God, I would welcome that uh, no doubt in my mind at all all right alexander asks are you concerned about the running back situation next season he sees a huge drop off going from swift to any of the other backs none of them have anywhere near the explosiveness and vision as swift he's worried that our other backs won't be able to get it done yeah, I mean, I would be lying, Alexander. This is a really good point. Thanks for the question, my friend. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't at least like slightly concerned about that, but I'm not like I'm not freaking out about it. Because what I would say, the, the one concern for me is I don't know if we have a we I don't think we have a swift caliber back on the roster once he's gone. Uh, I I think that James Cook can be really really good and, and maybe the closest to DeAndre Swift and what kind of what he, his skill sets and what he brings to the table, but he's not DeAndre Swift. Uh, I think Zeus is going to be a really good player for us, but he's a very different style back than DeAndre Swift. Right now, at least this year, what he's showing is that he runs with great physicality, great toughness between the tackles. I haven't seen him flash that explosive homeward ability since the injuries. Now, in high school, he showed it plenty, but since the two ACLs, I haven't seen that. And, and it could be like a Nick Chubb situation where the first year back, you're not quite back to your old self, but the second year, man, you hit the ground running and, and you're a different guy. Maybe that could be the case. Kenny McIntosh is a guy that I'm really high on. I know he's not seen a ton of playing time this year. I was really impressed with what I saw from him coming out of high school. And in the, in the small sample size we've seen from him earlier in the year, I was impressed with what we saw from him there as well. I think he can be a really good player, a 
potentially a, a top-level back for us. Maybe not a swift-level back, but a really good player for us. We've got Kendall Milton coming in from California, uh, which brings down that Derrick Henry, Alabama-style running attack. And we still have a, another spot left for the running back position in this 2020 recruiting class. Now, we might choose to go a different route and only bring in one running back, but there's a chance we can bring in somebody else. Maybe it's a guy like Dejon Edwards from Colquitt County. Uh, still not completely giving up on Zachary Evans from Texas. There's a chance there, one of the top running backs in the country. So let's let... Everything, let's let the smoke clear and find out what happens with this 2020 recruiting class and see if we have any grad transfer options as well before we make any definitive statements there. But I, I, we are going to miss DeAndre Swift. There's no doubt. And that guy is an alpha male back there. And uh, and that's going to be tough to replace. But I still think we have a very good stable of backs, as good of a situation at running back as any team in the country. All right. For our next question, G wants to turn the attention to the defense. Are we witnessing a historic defense? Man, we uh, we we really are. I mean, at least for the past decade. I mean, historic it depends on how you define historic. I went back and tried to find stats going back like the early two thousand. You know, in the Mark Rick Brian Van Gorder defenses, I couldn't find those stats. Uh, Wall stats only goes back to I think it's two thousand nine. But this is our best defense since two thousand nine. We have not had this caliber defense. I think the closest was two thousand eleven, where we averaged two hundred seventy seven yards allowed per game. Right now, we're allowing 267 yards per game. So with it, at least in the past, I'd say, 10 to 15 years, this has been the best Georgia defense. I think there's there's very little doubt about that. I mean, basically every statistical category, if you look it up, this defense is, is top for the last 10 to 15 years for the University of Georgia football program. So yeah, I, I think you could make that argument. Now, if you want to go back in time further than that, you can go back 20, 30 years, I mean, I don't know. That's a little bit before my time. I have to go back and look up the numbers. I need to watch those defenses. But I will say this. I've been watching Georgia football intimately for at least the past 20, 25 years. And this is, at the very least, as good of a defense as I've seen the University of Georgia field um, in my time, in my era. So, I mean, you can make 2012, you can make an argument, 2011, you can make an argument that those defenses were, were right up there. The early 2000 defense, you know, 2002, 2003, those defenses, you can make an argument with, with Pollock and those guys. But, man, I don't know. I don't know. Right now, statistically, you look at some of the personnel, I think you could make a strong argument that this is the best defense the last 20-plus years for the University of Georgia. Okay. Brent says, dogs on top of the East again. He doesn't even want to mention the nerds up next. He is more concerned about LSU and Atlanta. Loves the idea of our defense against that offense. And what have other teams done to have success when playing the Tigers' defense? Yeah, I love your enthusiasm, man. Uh, we're on top of the East again. That's a great feeling. We still have a lot of work left ahead of us. Um, I get why you're not, you don't want to mention the joke by Coke. I, I totally get that. But I, I, I'm just, you know, the old Larry Munson to me is just always in my is flowing through my veins. Cannot overlook any opponent whatsoever, especially when it's a rival and this their Super Bowl. They're not going to bowl. All they want to do is win this football game. There is absolutely no reason they should be even within three touchdowns of us. I recognize that. But without how our offense has been playing the past couple weeks, I mean, it's hard to imagine uh, us just blowing anyone out of the water because we haven't done it in a while. Now, we should blow out Tech, but we just haven't seen it in a while. But anyway, yes, uh, I'm very excited about this. Uh, love our defense against the LSU offense. I think that's going to be by far the biggest challenge this LSU offense has faced. In terms of what other teams have done to have some success against the LSU defense, I know there's been a lot made about how much success Ole Miss had on the ground against LSU going for, I think it was over 400 yards. But that's a very different type offense than what, I mean, I know they run the ball a lot and we run the ball a lot. So, so people want to draw parallels say, well, if, if Ole Miss was able to run for 400 yards on the LSU defense, what in the world is Georgia going to be able to do? But it's a very, very different scheme. They have a mobile quarterback with John Rice Plumlee. It's a very different animal in what they do offensively from a schematic standpoint we just uh we don't structure our offense the same way that Ole Miss does and we don't have the numbers advantage in the boxes because Jake Fromm is not a threat to run the football obviously but if you go back and you look at some of the games where I don't want to say they've struggled but where teams have had more success against LSU's defense it's actually through the air uh Texas threw for 409 yards in week two uh, Northwestern State put up 232 on them. Vanderbilt, who cannot throw a forward pass, put up 229. Florida threw for 311. Mississippi State, who really has had a lot of issues throwing the football this year, put up 238. Alabama put up 418 through the air. And I, I know Alabama is a, a, a dynamic passing offense, but even Ole Miss threw for 212 against them, and they have not been able to throw the football with any sort of success all year long. So, that's kind of been the recipe. Yeah, Ole Miss had a lot of success on the ground, but outside of that, no one's really kind of run all 
over LSU. Florida had 146. That was, that was really kind of skewed by one big long run in that game. Auburn had 130, kind of a workmanlike day, uh, 3.9 yards per carry. But it's really through the air where they've kind of been vulnerable, which is strange when you consider they like to call themselves DBU. But week after week, the, what they're doing is they're playing that press man coverage, and teams are finding some success against them. And guys, that does give me a little bit of a concern. Actually, a lot of concern. Because we have faced that all year long where teams are trying to get up in our face and play press man coverage. And when Cager's on the game, we have not consistently been able to beat that. Now, maybe our guys have taken strides since you know the midpoint of the season and we'll be able to find some success against that, against that LSU scheme defensively. But right now, I don't know if that's the best matchup. If teams have had the most success against this LSU defense through the air, all we've been talking about for a month now is how we can't throw the football. So I don't know how well that bodes for us. It doesn't give me a lot of confidence. We're going to have to find a way to establish run and then try to hit some play action shots down the field off of that. But I don't know. I don't really know how much I like that matchup. But we'll break that down a lot more in the next week and a half here as we get closer and closer to the SEC title game. All right, we have another question from Jamil. He would like to know who you would name as the offensive and defensive MVPs for this year. I think there's a couple different guys you could point at offensively. I think you can make an argument for Andrew Thomas at left tackle. The guy I'm going to go with is the alpha male on the backfield. I'm going to go with DeAndre Swift. I know everyone wants, is expecting me to say Jake Fromm is the president of the Jake Fromm fan club, but I can't do that with uh, how he's gone under 50% the past couple weeks now. But DeAndre Swift has been a consistent force for us this year. It's been a, it's been a tough road for him because he has not had near as much room to operate with how defenses are, are trying to attack us because they have no respect for our passing game right now. But he is still grinding out 100-yard after 100-yard days uh, against some really good defense. I mean, his past two weeks since Auburn and A&M, those are really good defense that he's going for over 100 yards against. So I think he's been the guy for us this year. Uh, he's a leader on, the, on, on that side of the ball. And I think it's pretty clear for me that he's been the MVP of our offense. Now, defensively, that's a tougher question. It's like we don't have like that one guy who just flashes. Like We don't have to chase Young, right? who's the All-American candidate, who now everyone's talking about him being a potential Heisman candidate. We don't have that one guy. We have a lot of guys who are playing their roles and doing their jobs very, very well. We're playing so many guys defensively. But if I had to pick one guy, and I'm not saying he's the most talented guy on our defense, uh, I would probably still go with J.R. Reeb, just from a value standpoint, in terms of again his leadership, what he brings to the table back there as a, as a veteran, as that presence in the locker room. Um, also, in his play on the field, I mean, go back to that Notre Dame game. I know it's been a while since week four, but he made some absolutely massive plays for us. And again, that we might not win that game without him making some of those plays. And he just, and it's not necessarily the flashy plays that he makes, it's just the things he does game in and game out, playing and play out, where he just does not bust. He doesn't miss many tackles, he doesn't really blow assignments. He's just a very, very confident player, a disciplined player, and a guy that you can absolutely count on out there game in and game out, and just an absolute uh, stud of a leader for us. So I would probably go with, with JR there. But there's a couple, I mean, who else could you make an argument for? I, I think one guy that I think you can make an argument right now for is DJ Daniel. I know DJ Daniel, I'm not saying he's the best player in our defense, but when Tyson Campbell went down early in the season, I w- I'm not going to lie, I was concerned because I thought Campbell was in line to have a massive breakout year. And DJ Daniel, was, it was big for us to be able to flip him from South Carolina late in the recruiting process last year. But I wasn't sure if he was ready to step in and play at the level that I that Tyson Campbell was playing. As Campbell was playing really, really well before the injury. But DJ Daniel has really, really improved since he was in the starting lineup. And he's become, I mean, honestly... I think he's been just as good, if not better, than Eric Stokes has been on the other side. So, again, not saying he's the best player of the defense, but I think he made an argument in terms of value, what he brought to the table when Campbell went out. I think DJ Daniel has been really, really good for us. All right. Jamie says, with the end of the season rapidly approaching, which juniors do do you expect to stay, and which juniors do you expect to declare for the NFL draft? Well, I think Swift is gone. Uh, running backs, you know, third-year running backs, junior running backs, they almost always go because the shelf life of a, of a running back in the NFL is just so short. So those guys want to get to the league as quickly as possible, and Swift deserves that. Swift's going. Andrew Thomas is as good as gone. I think those two guys, I, I mean, they're gone. Uh, I think there's a couple other guys on the offensive line that could be gone. Kinley is a fourth-year junior. Before the season, I thought he might leave, but I'm leaning more and more towards him coming back this year. Of course, you got Isaiah Wilson at right tackle. I don't know on Wilson. I think Wilson, a lot's going to depend on the uh, the grade he gets back, the feedback he get, he, re- he receives from the NFL, the draft advisory board. So I don't know on that one. I think that one's maybe 50-50 right now 
He could go. I don't know. Another guy that I think stock is going is rising over the past couple of weeks is Richard LeCount. Before the season, I would not have said I thought Richard LeCount was going pro because I don't think he had really put together a kind of season that would warrant that. But this year, he has put together that season, especially the, the last half of the season. Um, he's always had that range. Now he's tackling. He's making plays. Uh, he's turned himself into a really, really good football player, uh, an all-SEC caliber type player. So I think there's a chance, an increasing chance, that he might end up declaring going early. I really hope he comes back. We can really use him next year defensively because uh, I think we have a chance to be really, really good. We need a player of his caliber back there in the back end with that experience. But I think there's an increasing chance that he might potentially go. I think Eric Stokes, Curtis and I were talking about this at the game on Saturday or before the game tailgating. He thinks Eric Stokes is probably gone after this year. I don't know so much. Uh, he's a so he's a redshirt sophomore, so he could go. It's his third year out of high school, so he could go. I don't know, man. I mean, I could see him going, but I would say it's at least 50-50 that he comes back. Um, i trying to think who else we're talking about here. So D-Rob's another guy who could go pro, but I don't think he's had anywhere close to the kind of year that you would think he would uh, go ahead and declare for the NFL draft. I think he's coming back next year, which is kind of weird. Think back to when we first got him, we thought he was going to be a one-and-done type guy. He might end up being here for three years. So I think he'd be a really good player for us next year. But in terms of like, guys who, are, who I think are flat-out gone, I think Swift is flat-out gone. I think that Andrew Thomas is flat-out gone. I think Fromm, I might put it uh, like, I don't know, what percentage do you put Fromm right now, Charlie? I know we're just I making up numbers. But if you had to give me a percentage, like 50-50, you think? 70-30. Uh, 70-30, he comes back. Yeah. I might go 60-40 he comes back. Whereas at the beginning of the year, I thought it was like 80-20 that he's going pro. So I've done a 180 on that one. But I think he comes back. I really do. I think he comes back. I'm trying, is there anybody else I'm missing here? We've talked about the offensive line, defensive line. Um, yeah, I think those are the guys you're looking at right now. So I think, again, Swift is gone. Thomas is gone. It's a, a toss-up with Isaiah Wilson right now. I think it might even be a toss-up with Richard LeCount. But those are the names you're looking at right now. All right, Jeff asks, which offensive player will the Dogs miss the most next year? From if he leaves, Swift, Cager, or Hot Rod? Jeff thinks Hot Rod. What's your opinion? Oh, we'll miss Rod. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Like, we do not win that game against Texas A&M. I'll say it again, without Hot Rod. There's no, I mean, in those conditions, kicking four field goals, and one of them a 49-yarder, which I don't even know how that ball went in. It totally, like I said on the recap show, if you, I mean, those of you who are watching from home, I didn't see it. Uh, from home, so I came back and watched the replay. But watching it live in the stadium, it looked kind of like a knuckleball. And watching the replay, that ball defied the laws of physics, but it went in, right? But we don't win that game without without Rodrigo Blankenship. So uh, we'll definitely miss him. We'll miss Cager. We'll obviously miss Swift. We were in good hands in that backfield, as we discussed earlier. I think the one guy, if he leaves, that we'll miss more than anybody is Jake Fromm. And I and I know President Jake Fromm fan club, so a lot of you are just kind of shaking your head right now. And I'm not. And it's not me saying that Jake Fromm is the most talented player on the team. He's not the most talented player on the team. But who in the world do we have to play quarterback next year if Jake Fromm goes pro? Who do we have? Are, are we going with Stetson Bennett? Uh, Dwan Mathis has not been cleared yet. So we can't count on that. You got your, Carson Beck's going to be here for bowl practices in December, but are we ready for a, a true freshman to go out there next year? We've seen that story before, and I, I don't, do not want to see that again unless we absolutely have to. So if we don't have Jay Fromm next year, it's going to suck. I know like uh, he hasn't played well lately, and a lot of people are really down on him. But guys, we're going to have every single thing we need next year, just like we do this year. But if Jay Fromm goes pro, we will not have the quarterback position. And that could be that could be the fatal blow to this team next year, a team that absolutely has everything it would need to win a national title, except the quarterback if Jake Fromm doesn't come back. So I think he's absolutely critical to next year's team. If he comes back, I think we should be preseason top three, no doubt about it. If he doesn't come back, I don't know, man. We'll probably still be preseason top ten, but we won't be cracking the top three. And it'll be a, it'll be a tough road to hoe for us to get back even to Atlanta with uh, with the quarterback situation if Fromm doesn't come back. Okay. Scott wants you to break down the defensive line play. He sees the Clarks and the Trayvons make the flash plays, but he is sure there are unsung guys making it happen too. Yeah, the defensive line has been an absolute revelation this year. We've talked about it for years now where the kind of the weakling on our defense has been the defensive line. Where we were we were good-ish on the defensive line, but we weren't even close to elite. We weren't close to dominant. When you go up against the Alabamas of the world, like in the national title a couple years ago, in the SEC title game last year, that's where it really kind of showed up. But it is a different story this year. We have had a number of guys kind of raise their level of play. We've also got different guys that are rotating in and out so that our guys are able to stay fresh on the defensive line. Tyler Clark has had a big bounce back here after a somewhat disappointing 2018 season where we were all kind of expecting him to really build off what he did in the playoffs in 2017. He was good last year, just wasn't great. This year he has been borderline great for us, made some big time plays. 
We're allowing him to play more of a one-gap scheme. Not not all the time. He's still two-gapping a lot. But we're allowing him to use his skill set, which is something I've been advocating for for a long time. Allow this guy to one-gap. When he one-gaps, he can absolutely wreak havoc. And we've seen that on several different occasions this year. We saw against Auburn. We saw against South Carolina overtime where that was a huge play. Could have helped us win that game. Of course, we had had ended up blowing that one. We saw uh, against A&M on the, on the huge sack late in the fourth quarter that put them behind the chains and forced them to punt, gave us the ball back where we were able to run the clock out after that huge play. So he's been a monster for us. Uh, Jordan Davis has been more consistent this year. There's been times where he maybe there I think there were games last year he might have been more dominant but I think he's been more consistent this year Devontae Wyatt has been a beast for us all year he's definitely been one of those unsung players now he's a guy who does an outstanding job of two gapping there was a play uh I think it was in the first quarter against Texas A&M where they were kind of running a, a draw and he absolutely he was two gapping he stands he strikes the offensive lineman he stands him up completely discards him, throws him away, and just makes a pitcher-perfect form tackle on the running back for no gain. Uh, just a gorgeous play. He's been doing that all year long. I mean, he was a guy in the first weekend's Vanderbilt that really flashed to me, and we've seen him do it game after game after game. And then, But there's it's not just the interior guys. Uh, we've got guys like Aziz Ojolari, Malik Herring, who are doing that outstanding job setting the edge. I mean, Malik Herring has become a bad, bad man at the five-tech, guys. I mean, he didn't play much the first third of the season, but he has gotten out of the doghouse, and that man is playing with his hair on fire right now. Aziz Ojolari is a redshirt freshman, is just been unbelievably good. He's leading the team in sacks. He's also been so good against the run. That's why he's the guys out there in the standard down situations. He's been so good against the run, setting the edge, and just playing with great discipline for a young player. And then a guy that I know has gotten a lot of criticism for uh, some of the issues in pass coverage from the star position is Mark Webb. But guys, the reason he still is consistently finding his way on the field is because he has been so freaking good against the run. Setting the edge there, coming and sticking his nose in there. He has been unbelievably good in that role, especially the past couple of weeks. So it's really kind of been an all-around team effort. The safeties have done a better job tackling. The corners, I mean, DJ Daniel is kind of undersized, but when the teams try to get the ball out there on the edge, he does a really good job of forcing it back to his help on the inside. And he's playing with some physicality out there as well. Eric Stokes has been doing that since he got in the lineup. Um, so I think it's been an all-around defensive team effort, but the defensive line has been a huge part of that. We have more bodies that are rotating in now, so those guys are fresh. And they just kind of raised their level of play. It's been unbelievable this year. Okay. Witt asks, how do you think our offense will fare against Tech's defense this weekend? It seems like it would be a good week to gain some confidence before the SEC championship, especially in the passing game. Yeah. Okay. So Tech sucks. Um, Just in principle, they suck. And then from a practical perspective this year, they also suck. They're not good. Uh, Defensively, it's especially bad for them. They're 119th nationally in rush defense, giving up 214 yards a game. So they actually give up more rushing yards a game than we're averaging on offense rushing the football right now. That's not a good sign for them against a team like us that wants to run the football down your throat. They're 82nd nationally in total defense, 72nd nationally in yards per play defense. But again, it's the rush defense numbers that are alarming. It's not just the, the traditional rush defense numbers. It's, they're also 108th nationally in stuff race. They're not getting very many, ne- like they're getting basically no negative plays on teams. And that's a good sign for us because we need to stay ahead of the change with our offensive scheme. And they're just not doing anything to disrupt offenses right now. They're 119th in power success rates. They're not stopping teams on, on third and fourth and short. So we should be able to convert in those situations when we get the opportunities to. Uh, but I will say they've actually been pretty good against the pass this year. They're, they're terrible against the run, but they're 32nd nationally against the pass. They're 65th nationally in yards per pass. What that tells me is they've been pretty consistent against the pass, but they've also given us some big plays from time to time. So uh, with the issues that we've had offensively through the air, that that might be a cause of a little bit of, of concern. But man, like they are so, so bad against the run. They're undersized. They're not athletic. We should absolutely have our way against them. Now, rivalry games, things have a way of getting kind of crazy, but there's no reason this Tech defense should be able to do really anything to stop us. All right, last question for today. Nathan doesn't have a football-related question, but wants to know your thoughts on the men's basketball team through four games. Okay, so this question came in before the uh, the first game of the Maui Invitational, which uh, that game kind of sucked against Dayton. Dayton's actually a really good basketball team. I was really impressed with them, but we played about as poorly as we could. But to this point, now through five games, I'm still optimistic about what this team can end up being. We are certainly not there yet, but we are doing a lot of things better than what we were doing last year. Now, we turned the ball over a ton against Dayton. I think it was 22, 23 turnovers, and you cannot win basketball games doing that. You just simply cannot against a team that's as good as Dayton. And Dayton is a good team, guys. They might end up in the finals of the Maui Invitational. But uh, we, outside of that, we've done a much better job of not turning the ball over. We're still not where we need to be. 
We're 167th nationally in turnovers, but that's actually a lot better from last year. We're up from 337th nationally last year. So we're doing a better job there. I think a big reason that we're doing better in that regard is that we actually have a legitimate point guard in Xavier Wheeler. Now, I think the guy needs to play a lot more, but uh, that guy is going to be uh, a fan favorite for many, many years. I know Anthony Edwards is going to go pro this year, but Severe Wheeler might be one of those four-year, he probably will be those four-year J.J. Frazier type guys for us. So we've got him, we've got Anthony Edwards, who's a better ball handler than what we, some of the guys that we had last year. So we're, we're not turning the ball over as much with the exception of that, of that Dayton game, where we still really need to improve is defensively. Right now, we're 229th nationally in opponent field goal percentage. We're not doing a good enough job defensively of forcing tough shots. Uh, some of those possessions are like, it just seems like we take possessions off defensively sometimes. And how we try to run things up tempo offensively, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe we're just trying to get a breather, take a rest on the defensive side of the ball, but that cannot continue to happen. We're making things way too easy on opposing offenses. But I, I still like the pieces of this team. When you, got, when you have a guy the caliber of Anthony Edwards, you just need a guy or two around him to, to kind of elevate their level of play, and we can have a chance to end up on the bubble when it's all said and done. Again, we're not there yet, but I think we have some pieces. If like We have two legit scores. We have, obviously, Anthony Edwards, and we have Rayshon Hammonds. When Hammonds is scoring, when he's giving us 12 to 15 points a night along with Anthony Edwards, we are a pretty good basketball team. You know, coming into the Maui Invitation, we had consecutive games where we scored 26 points against Delaware State and against Georgia Tech. He was on fire. Then he gets into foul trouble against... Uh, against Dayton and uh, that was an issue because I think you know he, he had no points at halftime Edwards had two points at halftime so they had two points combined in the first half that's not going to cut when those two guys are not scoring we struggle we don't have a ton of other weapons offensively right now we don't have enough shooters is one thing I would say Edwards can shoot the ball Hammonds can shoot the ball Crump can shoot the ball he's not as good of a shooter as everyone makes him out to be takes some really bad shots but we don't have shooters all over the court but if Hammonds and Edwards are scoring and we're not turning the ball over 23 times a game we're going to win a lot of games in the SEC, and we're going to have a chance to find ourselves on the bubble, especially some of these young guys like Tamani Kamara, Christian Brown, as they start to come along throughout the season. I think we can we can be a pretty good team, at least much improved from where we were a year ago. So I'm, I'm optimistic about where we're going to go. We've got a lot of work to do, but uh, you know what? I'm excited about Georgia basketball again. I haven't really been excited about Georgia basketball in, in a couple of years, I go to all the games, but it's been a, it's been a minute since I've actually been excited about what this team can do, and I, and I kind of I feel that excitement right now. So that's something, right? But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. It's gonna be a busy week for all of us here for Charlie Curtis and myself with all the Thanksgiving festivities we have to attend to. I, I personally have three different Thanksgivings to go to on three different days. So we're trying to work our schedules out so we can get together and record the shows later this week, but there's at least a decent chance we might not be able to get to a tech preview show this week. I'm trying to find a way to work one in between travel and family time, but I can't 100% promise that I'm going to be able to do that. I can, however, assure that we will have a Picks of the Week show for you guys later in the week, and at the very least, we can preview and discuss the tech game on that episode. So just kind of want to keep everyone updated on all of that. And all of us at the Glory UGA Podcast want to wish all of you guys a very, very happy Thanksgiving. I know it's lame to say. I know it's so lame to say this. But anyway, whatever. We are all very thankful for each and every one of you that support our show. We really cannot thank you guys enough. It's it's so humbling to have anyone listen to our show. We are so grateful for it. Uh, so all of you guys, please enjoy the food, enjoy your families, and obviously, enjoy the football. So for Charlie, I'm Tyler, and as always... Go dogs.